Hello, and welcome to episode 317 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Daniel Calvin, comics creator and writer of American Dreams, available for pre-orders and in previews now from Band of Bards. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. Daniel, thanks so much for, for joining us. Let's do as we normally do. We we start off an interview. We ask for two things. We ask for a quick bio and an elevator pitch for the book. Okay, now I'm Daniel. I'm from Brooklyn. I'm a uh, comic writer by night, weekends, afternoons, days, and basically, you know, whatever. I'm not working as a uh, office assistant for a major metropolitan law firm. Um and uh, so the elevator pitch for American Dreams is New York City in 1900. A Jewish immigrant, Jake Gold, gets caught up in a mad science experiment being done by Thomas Edison, gains superpowers as a result, and has to figure out what he's going to do with them. Very cool. Very cool. Well, you know, you gave us a preview copy of this, and I got to read through it. Um, and certainly I have a number of questions, but... Um, one question I have for you is uh, superheroes are very difficult to do as an indie creator. Um, and I think you handled this really well, um, giving us a backstory, establishing with some historical elements that we know, and you give us some you know, superhero tropes that we're all sort of comfortable with and we all sort of know. Was that something that you set out to do early on? Well, the original, it's really funny because the original concept was basically I was listening to a the this a the soundtrack of a show called Ragtime, which is set somewhere around the same era, a little further, but they focus mainly on a white family, though there's a Jewish family that gets involved. It's a long story. I was like, I'm like kind of drowsing listening to the music, you know, because I'm in my room. And I go, huh, what are their avenue they had superheroes back in that era? Because there was very much uh, there's a lot of stuff that we talk about today that are that's in the news was happening back then too. So it's like a kind of interesting mirror to hold up to our era of another era. And that's when the gears basically started to turn. And so I said, okay, what kind of superhero? Based, I said, let's do a Superman archetype because that's an interesting, you know, lead in. But I figured, you know, being Jewish, and I feel like there's not enough Jewish, you know, big name heroes right now um, in, in comics. And they seem to be kind of like second, like their Jewishness seems to be second fiddle to something else. Like, let's make this a, you know, a Jewish superhero. And, um, and an immigrant, so it would be interesting because he'd be a guy who has all this amazing power, but in terms of the society of the era, he's on the bottom rung. Mm -hmm. so, so because there's many interesting ways you can play with that but ultimately I choose superhero stories because those are the stories I like reading and writing and yes it's hard to do it but you have to figure out the angle to approach it so it's not just like you know generic guy in a mask you know 5,200 something you need to find your own twist and take and just you know bring that to the forefront and make that Sorry. special yeah, I think I have a good guess as to what your angle is, but what do you feel like is your angle? Like, what, what I guess, you know, in your words, what's what's different about this book? What makes it worth reading out of the, like, you know, countless superhero stories on the shelves and things? 
one of the few things. Well, first of all, it's a Jewish protagonist. You don't get that many right now in the comic, in like mainstream comics. Like, they're, as I said, they're Jewish. It's always to be second fiddle to something else in their person backstory or personality or whatnot. Like, Batwoman, great LGBTQ representation. Also Jewish, but we don't talk, but that's not discussed as much. The thing, mm-hmm. Jewish, but it's more of an ensemble character. Magneto, you really wanted Mega Villain to be the Jewish representative? No. Uh, Kitty Pride, again, ensemble member. And then there's like prominent characters who are Jewish, but they don't discuss it, like Hal Jordan, canonically Jewish for um, the Dark Side War saga, his tie in. But that's only been really mentioned once and then has been brought up. And then what is unintentional? Because it's Batman. Batman is now technically Jewish because if Kate Kane, Batwoman is his maternal cousin, it means his mom, Batman's mom, Martha Kane, originally Martha Wayne, was Jewish, which means per Jewish law, Batman's Jewish. And it's like one of those little things DC keeps sweeping under the rug and other writers keep sweeping it back out, and it just becomes like a whole tug of war. So, like, mm-hmm. this is a character who's proudly, ethnically, you might have a Jewish, he might not be, might be the most devout Jew on the planet, but he's probably Jewish. And then it's also putting it in the Gilded Age time period, because a lot of people do, like, in the earliest I see people really do superhero stories canonically, mainly, it's not like a weird Elseworld, like Civil War, um, is the is what we consider the Golden Age of Comics. We're talking 1930s, 1940s. I'm pushing it back 30, 40 years to the turn of the 20th century, where it's a lot of upheaval, a lot of change, uh, so that relates to our era. But at the same time, it's an era that you don't really see in comic books. So it's a nice different take on, you know, your New York setting. So this is like the New York of, you know, gas lamps is slowly turning to electricity. The horse and carriage is turning more slowly into cars. Though not the best cars on the planet. Um, and it's a lot of struggle for equal rights among various groups. And there's a lot of, you know, social anxiety and it's very much, you know, the haves against the have-nots. So it's again another one of the things is you're mirroring, you know, today through yesterday. Yeah, well, one thing couple... that I like. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, please, no, go ahead. Um, one thing that I I always liked about Patty Jenkins discussing her uh, um, her her picking like how she picked time periods for the two Wonder Woman films was that she felt that Wonder Woman would thrive best in, in, in time periods where women's rights were being disregarded the most, you know, or times of, you know, disregard for women's rights. So she picked, you know, the, you know, World War One era and then in the 80s. Uh, do you feel like, you know, like that's, that's sort of uh, one of the reasons why you picked this time period as well is just because it was, you know, obviously it was sort of a, a big period for a lot of immigrants coming over to the country, but also just a time where a lot of, there was a lot of oppression um, from people on high towards these these workers um, and these people coming over just looking for a better way of life. I think it factors into it because it's very much, you know, the era of the rich resisting the rise of unions, of socialists, of anarchists, because Emma Goldman shows up in the first issue. And um, and um, she's a famous anarchist. Um, but it's very much, you know, a lot of it's, you know, 
the push for more rights in an era where the haves are really, you know, really don't want anything but the status quo. Because, you know, remember, it's the same era as, like, the late Victorian period. It's very, very regimented how society should be. And any, you know, person posting for change is a radical that must be put down. It's also, you know, and you have to remember, I started writing this theories in, like, 2016, you know, um, and I was also seeing, like, a rise in anti-Semitism, which is unfortunately still happening. So as a Jew, it's like, yeah, I have to discuss that a little bit, too. And that's why in the first issue, you see a lot of the clash between, you know, ethnic groups that were mm-hmm. happening all over New York. And some ethnic groups would ally with themselves against others because there was a constant war of not just territory, but who they felt they belonged. It actually comes more to a head in later issues when you see our uh, kind of our boss battle. That's really cool. And I think, you know, we've had a couple of people on the podcast before who have set their, um, their story in the, the early 1900s and the, you know, World War One area our era, and one thing that's really cool is that you can have somebody that's on a horse next to somebody that's you know on a car. It might not be the best car, but you know there, there's a car there. So there's this there's this mix of the old world and the new world at the same time. Was that something that was um, inspiring to you? Well, at the time, I thought it was a little more antiquated because I was trying to do research. I did realize cars didn't start the early because what happened was. Back a couple publishers ago, when I was first trying to you know get the book off the ground, um, Doty, my artist, my wonderful artist, drew this cover. And looking at this, I'm like, Doty, I don't think there's been more than this kind of car in uh, pre World War One New York, and so they had to go. It was replaced with a horse and carriage. We ended up not using the cover anyways because mm-hmm. we moved to what was that? To move to short fuse, and you know, of course, short fuse doesn't exist anymore, but that's beside the point. Um, but I was doing some research, and all of a sudden, I came across Harry Houdini in a car, in a photo marked 1900. So immediately, I said, "Doty, the picture." I said, "Remember when I said there would be no cars in 1900?" I was wrong. I apologize. And actually, we put the car into issue uh, four. With uh, bad results for Jake because he does not like cars. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, how did you meet your artist? Uh, so back when at this former publisher, like so going backwards, it goes going backwards. Is current publisher Band of Bards self publishing? Uh, short using the original publisher. Um, and I don't even think it exists anymore either. Um, but I was looking for an artist because what happened was really a friend and I were pitching a book we co-wrote. And as we we're waiting for something to go long, the then publisher said, hey, Daniel, do you have anything? I gave him this script, which at the time was called Modern Colossi. He says, I like the script. You have to change the title to American Dream. It is a title because it doesn't work. So I basically hadn't thought it was with American Dreams, which, you know, ended up being the best title of the one that I was trying to cook up you know, desperation brings innovation. Um, and then I'm like, wait, now I need an artist on this. And then another writer in the 
then this collective said, hey, how about this guy, Dodie? And he sent me the artwork. I'm like, that works. That's perfect. And then Dodie and I got contacted each other. And we became friends and he recommended his inker, Tevi. And we became friends. And I think the same guy recommended me, Dodie recommended Warnia to me. Warnia Sehadawa, our um, amazing colorist. So basically, uh, those other writers recommending people to me who I'm now friends with, like Neto Diaz, who was, before he'd been writing right now, like a meteor at Marvel, he you know, did our first cover, original cover A, which is now our cover B. Um, for American Dream, he's been my variant artist for a lot of other, other projects, including all five issues so far of American Dreams. So it's amazing, you know, people let you know who you think you should work with, and recommendations, and you just get a nice, cool rapport with them. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, we've had a couple of people on so far that uh, it's it's either one of two things where you, as you know, de facto as the the writer and possibly the the, the creator of everything, you either put a team together piece by piece. But it's also really nice that you know, say that the first person you meet is the line artist. And they yeah. introduce you to somebody that is, you know, an inker. And it sounds like, you know, that's how it worked out for you. And like all of these people have a relationship together. And then you guys become this like one collective that that works out really well sometimes as well. Yeah. Because the other thing, because I've had since I've had people come to me saying, do you want us to work together? And I say, yeah, sure. I've been with Marcelo Muller on uh, Gracious vs. the Alien, which is, you know, slowly being developed. Uh, issue one is drawn just to get the coloring lettering done, and he's drawing issue two already. Uh, and then um, I reached out to an artist, um, Gabe Santos Escovo, um, for Night Wrath because I was like, Do you want to work on a project together? He's like, Yeah, sure. And we co created Night Wrath. And then, uh, there, then another person reached out to me. I'm like, Do you have anything? I thought of a new thing to tie into what I'm calling the Liberty Verse, and we're working on that. And so it's it, so it can. It's all situational. Sometimes I reach out to them. Sometimes they reach out to me. But the first step is really, you know, having someone say, "Hey, why don't you look at this guy's art?" And then it just became a nice little chain of events. Yeah, that's really cool. And um, as far as the the art, um, you know, I've seen a lot of images that you've been posting. Do you guys? intentionally or maybe unintentionally or maybe by uh, inspiration um, it seems like there's a lot of heroic you know superman poses with your superhero in the sky is that you know i know we early on said it's a superman archetype but is, is that something that you wanted to do with with the art i mean it makes an amazing sort of either splash image or, or cover image is that something you wanted to do well well, when it came to the new cover A, I was talking with my buddy Kyler Claudfelter. And he and I were like debating around what should be the thing. Because I was trying to think, he's like, what do you want the cover to be? I'm like, uh, like, I didn't have an exact idea in my head what I wanted the new cover to be. So I'm hanging high, like, and suddenly I had, like, I had the inspiration of, why don't we homage Superman 1 by um, yeah. Joe Schuster, George Perez, uh, the guy who's doing, uh, who did Son of Kal-El, whose name I'm fucking big. My God, I'm so sorry. Um... But like it's such a classic, you know, cover. You just can't help but homage it. Sure. Um, but like when we were doing issue, we're going a little back, uh, backwards to go forwards. Um, when we were working on issue five, Dodie, because Dodie was doing the main cover, 
we're like, okay, what should the cover be? And I'm like, hem- again, hemming and hawing. And I'm like, let me find a couple of real images I like. Again, of Superman. And I, I found a couple by Jerry, Gary Frank from, I think it was Secret Origin. And so this other couple other artists. And then I said, but my favorite artist of all time is Jim Lee, who did a really good job on this uh, Superman arc for tomorrow. Not the best written, but I love the art. Um, sorry. Um, and I found one image. I'm like, can we homage this? Like, do our own twist on it. And Dodie said, yeah. So, like, so again, it's homaging what has come before us, you know, mm-hmm. honoring the past, but, you know, doing our little spins. Does that makes sense. I- no, it does certainly. Um, so, what is your plan for for this uh, the series? Uh, how many issues are we looking at? And uh... well, this first arc, which is being released in Diamond, starting in March, and pre orders are starting are you know, rounding up now. So, you guys should pre order a copy now. Um, uh, is five issues, and each arc is going to be five issues. Dodie is drawn six. He's drawing seven. I need to get the issue six colored and lettered and prepped because I think. If not this year, next year, I want to kickstart issue six. If not, okay. let's bet the bards, you know, want to kickstart themselves, at which point, you know, that's, you know, one less, you know, thing I have to, you know, worry about scheduling. Um, guys, let's talk. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's, um, I already have arc three written out, which is funny because arc three is supposed to be arc two. And then my late editor, LaShawn Colvin, and I were on a podcast. And she basically told me point blank, again, on the air, Daniel, you have all these great characters, but your diversity of your characters, it's not much of it yet, because basically you're the, there's a lot of you know, women, a lot of, you know, Jewish characters, but not enough black characters, not enough Asian characters. And, you know, instead of taking offense and being outraged and being defensive, like, you know what, LaShawn, you're right. So I put aside my arc. Then arc two, I wrote a new arc, and I started writing an outline a new arc two, mm-hmm. which had which going to introduce some new characters, that's more diversity. And she loved it, loved what I was writing. And unfortunately, before I could get her the outline, and she and I was working on issue six and issue seven, and I think I was about to send her the outline to eight or nine, and then by that point, she had unfortunately passed suddenly. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's in, sad. I'm so in, sorry. In, in this past October. Oh. That, so, that must have been really hard. That was it was a shock. Like her assistant, like I was at work, and her assistant editor sends me a voice message on Facebook. She's like, and Andrea's like, Daniel, call me like right now on Facebook. I'm like, oh no, like really, and it, it's like it's really at a point. At a point, I said, I thought I said someone must have died. My brain, like something had happened. Something had happened. And I said, I have a feeling what you're going to say for some reason in my gut, but what happened? And she's like, Lashawn died. No. Oh. It was very sudden. It was, you know, a surprise and a shock. Yeah, no kidding. And that's that's got to be hard when someone who's been in how long had she been involved in the? In the she comic officially she officially well she's been starting. I well this I first met I joined up with Short Fuse, and after a while she took over as the main editor for uh, some complicated reasons, and then. Um, 
And uh, so she started mainly with issue three, but she also helped a little bit of one and two. Um, and then worked on four and five, and I had just had wrapped up the, then the self-published version of the well, of, of the trade. And I was sending her stuff for six and seven and eight and nine, and I was about to start outlining ten. And so they actually have a dedication to her in what I'm calling the Kickstarter edition of the trade. I wrote out a dedication to her. Yeah, that's that's really nice of you. That's that sounds really hard though. It um, was. Um, yeah. It, it was like just because it was like, it was because it was so sudden, unfortunately, and it's like. Mm -hmm. Because she was also the first black woman in the South to own a comic book, to really run a comic book shop. She had just got her book, Beautiful Soldiers, in with uh, Scout. And she had all these things planned. And then, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's so sad. But yeah. I'm glad you're able to carry on her legacy, you know, with her input. That's got to be, that's that's a great way to honor someone is to take you know, obviously she was around to see you take that input, but also, you know, for you to continue on in her memory, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's also really cool that you're, you're, I mean, it sounds like, you know, it, uh, the, the story idea came from a desire for diversity, but also, you know, that's something that's sort of stayed as a thesis or a, like, you know, a mission statement for you going forward. Yeah. Um, not just for, uh, uh, for for Jewish people, but for you know all ethnicities and faiths and cultures, that that's pretty amazing. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's really cool. And uh, so, well, so I basically have, I basically yeah. essentially have issue tens loosely in my brain right now. But because I had a, had originally had that arc three as being arc two, arc three uh, is now up from issue fifteen or so. So at least you know up to issue issue fifteen. Mostly planned. Mm -hmm. I have ideas of what I want to do further on. Like I was the other day on Twitter, like I like to do maybe some like one shot graphic novels or whatnot that helps tie in and just expand the world somewhat in ways that I just can't, you know, always do with the single issue series. Um, if you could, even if that includes like going a, little, going a little further in the timeline of the series. So but I do have an idea involving. The uh, infamous Pan American Exposition and the uh, assassination of William McKinley. Oh wow! I do have a concept for that because something just broke. Um, because it's one of those fixed points in time in the timeline of American history. I can't really change it. Yeah, I can right. change the events around it, but I can't really. It's a fixed point. Doctor Who would say it's a fixed point. Um, but I call it something just in my brain. I call it opera project something just broke because um, it's this song. It's a song from Assassins by the late great Stephen Sondheim, mm -hmm. where Americans are reacting to the assassination of a president. Because the whole show Assassins is basically about the the assassins successful or unsuccessful of various presidents, mm -hmm. and one of the, the people they talk about is Jogosh, the guy who ended up shooting McKinley. And but it's this song towards the end of the show where basically regular Americans are just reacting to all the past assassinations throughout American history of uh, presidents. 
So I have a question about your sort of organizational process. You know, you're mentioning to us that, you know, you're in previews now. So obviously, you know, you're in promotion mode for, for issue one. Um, you had mentioned earlier that, you know, a couple of issues in the production line are in various stages of either being drawn or colored and you're outlining um, how do you keep everything straight? Because, you know, you, you possibly like your creative mind is in issue 10, um, but, you know, you're reviewing things for anything from two to two to nine and you're promoting one. How do you, how do you keep everything straight? In all honesty, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, I'm juggling as many balls as I can. And I just, I just have to keep my eye on these on the various things I'm juggling because otherwise something's going to go. But thankfully, well, in the case of one through five, they're done. They're ready to go okay. because, because, you know, I, you know, I did some crowdfunding um, initially, you know, over the last couple of years with these books. And so one through five are done. They're in the can. They are ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um which again makes it a lot easier to promote and distribute. Issue six and seven is going to take a little while because you know I can only pay so much so fast. Um, but six is thankfully fully drawn. I have to talk to Warney about getting the color. We have at least okay. one cover already done for six, so that's good. Like it's completely done, other than you know trade dress. Issue seven and I need. Yeah, covers done. I need to talk to Netho if he even has time anymore, um, because now he's you know doing all this stuff at Marvel and elsewhere. So I have to see if he can even squeeze me in. Uh, I have to finish writing the scripts to eight, nine, and ten. But thankfully, eight and nine are out are fully outlined. Ten is you know kind of nervously outlined. And then in other projects like Greaser vs. the Aliens, I already this is one for four already written. I just need to write five to finish that arc. Um I'm waiting on my artists on Rook and Knight to finish something else so they can do a cover. And then look for other people for covers. And then uh Night Wrath, which uh we have some plans on that. We're just doing some reorganization to to help everyone's schedules. But things are starting to cook on that regard. Because right. Night Ref One was, you know, was 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 it's basically right now my most successful uh, Kickstarter. Very cool. So, uh, could you talk a little bit about the process of of kickstarting these books, having some success with them, but then. Um, approaching Band of Bards to, um, you know, sort of level up and now be in previews and have the opportunity for for shops to to order your book. What was, uh, did you have any connections there beforehand? Or well, was it a cold, I talked to, cold call? I actually talked to Tim a while back about another idea I had, which now I'm turning into an illustrated novel just because it's, you know, saves me some money for comics work so this way you can just have like some nice illustrations in the novel instead of just doing you know another comic uh but and you know but he i he and i kind of hit off this you know and we've been talking back and forth about various comic book things and whatnot i would say if, if i could pitch something else it's great and then last summer i was up in connecticut for terrificon and looking in sun 
resort. And my friend Reese had flown in from the UK to spend time with me in part to also go to the convention. And he wanted to meet Kevin Conroy. May he rest in peace. I he got to actually got to see Kevin Conroy walk past my table one day. I said hi. And he said hi back. So that's my that's my only Kevin Conroy story. Um but Reese, so so Reese is sitting next to me on my left. To my right at the next table is my are my friends Kat and Phil, who do like uh, like father like daughter, um the, um, the dancer, um what's it called? Uh, I forgot the name of their webtoon is, but they're they're getting good success with that. Um, why am I putting a blank on it? I back it. But they do a lot. They do a ton of stuff. They have a Kickstarter right now for uh, LGBTQ pins. Um, and you know, cat selling. I'm selling. Reese is helping me out. And I get an email on my phone. It, at this time, I was doing the uh, Kickstarter for the well, was then the American Dreams trade. For you know, the initial was one for five. You know, collect edition. I had a couple other little bits and bobs in there. I get an email. I'm like, oh, Ben DeParge had sent me an email, and I just pause. And I blink, and I'm like, I show it to Reese, I show it to Cat, like fucking her over. They asked me if they wanted, like, if they asked me if they could publish American Dreams. And I'm like, this never happens. <laughs> it's like, great. like great. I'm like, so like Tim, so they're like, do you want us to publish American Dreams? And I'm like, you know, talking to Cat and Reese and, and Phil about, like. I'm basically going to say yes, but like, I, I'm probably going to say yes. I just, you know, need to talk to them and, you know, talk on my, talk with my folks and everything else. But also because I'm at a convention, you know, and I can't really, you know, spend the time to, you know, at the moment to say yes, definitely. I like, you know, open the email, I go, yes, but can I get back to you in a, in a week or so? I'm going to convention. <laughs> well, it's basically, That's I was great. going to yes. Yeah. I was basically a dead, dead set yes. Um, so basically, I said yes, and then we you know we negotiated back and forth, and with the, you know the contract stuff, and then you know within like one or two weeks later, contract was signed and done, and ready to go, and we're off to the races. <laughs> Amazing! That's 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 pretty awesome. Um, you know, we have we've had a number of creators on, and there's always sort of the saying that there's. Um, there's a number of ways to break in the comics. And as soon as somebody figures that out, they, they, they sort of close that Avenue and you have to find another one. I don't think if we've ever heard the, uh, the, the publisher sort of cold called me and, and asked me to, to publish our, to publish our book. So, so that's a new one for us. Isn't yeah. And I said, like, yeah, I think so. That's pretty never cool. ha- I thought it was like, this never happens. <laughs> yeah. like, that was my thought process when I got the email. I was like, this never happens. Because I've sent pitches, pitches out since because like, I got you know, all confidence. Like, oh, I got picked up by Band of Bars. I have a book coming out in Diamond. I can pitch anything now. I pitched something around Halloween. I have not heard back from anyone else. I've not heard back from any other company I pitched, pitched it to. Um, so it's like, okay, guess I was too cocky. <laughs> No, a different book to, uh, than a different book, a new book. Quintelli with Dodie and Tebby and uh, Matt Bowers, my letterer, but we had another colorist come in to do it because but this colorist is also a friend of mine. And like I sent out it out to Image and Scout and Matt Cave, and I never heard back. 
Well, you have to keep shooting your shot. And, uh, you know, that's, it's, it's a difficult thing to, to, you know, reach out and, and do something and sort of have that hope. And, um, you know, as creators, we've all sort of had a lot of no's, but the, the uh, the dead silence that uh, comes back is a, is a is a totally different thing. So oh, that's uh, what drives me nuts. It's the silence. Yeah. Hopefully, you get some good news soon. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I mean, I can always figure something else. I always got a couple well ideas rattling in my head, and of course, the guys at Bennett Bards, I usually give you know first look at. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. this is just like my first you know gasp. Let me try something. Yeah, I'm really excited about Band of Bards. Um, they they've come on my radar um, very recently. Our last uh, our last podcast was with uh, I think our mutual friend Travis Gibb, who uh, has a book there. Yeah, um, they seem to be making a, a lot of a lot of noise, which is which is cool. So it's it's another avenue for for folks to to. Um, to uh pursue and uh they seem to be doing a lot of cool things yeah there's there's a lot of great books coming down the line you know some uh, you know are been made public and others you know i have to be you know i can't say anything about mm -hmm. um but there's a lot of great stuff coming out from band of bars i'm glad to be on for the ride very cool um, yeah. So I think I think we're getting kind of close to the end of the interview. Um, I have a couple of questions, but I want to just check in with Noah to see if he has any questions for you right now. Um, I uh, had one question, but I've already forgot about it. I just sort of got wrapped up in the conversation. Sorry about that. But um, yeah, so I guess I just wanted to know about, you know, you you did this, you know, you crowdfunded this book series for a while has this been the only series you've worked on like you've published or have you had do you have other things like shorts and other comics but, that you've done so i got i had a short in project big hype number one basically it was kind of like a steampunk kind of adventure in you know cairo with a you know a teenage sneak thief robbing a uh a sheik of some ill-gotten artifact so he can return it to you know to a museum and and That's then great. i and then i kind of had like a Bride period, and then Travis, you know, did a call for some people to give ideas for um, Cthulhu Invades Wonderland, and I pitched ultimately was well, the Dodo story. Oh, cool! Which was a very which I, which so I we've all was been in a book together. Then that's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. And awesome. um, and I've been invited to a couple other anthologies, but you know, like I can't say about them yet because they're not published. Um. Night Ref one was uh, and also I still have to write the scripts because they're just in their nascent ability. But uh, Night Ref one was kickstarted last summer. That was my best Kickstarter. Yeah, that's the, the only five figure. That was the that's the only five the only five figure Kickstarter I ever had. Um, so that was that's awesome. It's like I like I saw the money go up by like the end of the thing. I'm like, okay, now I can remember, now I can unclench for like five minutes. It's really funny. So it was like it was also the fastest I ever hit goal. Because I was at work one day, because I launched it on my birthday last year. I took the day off, so I'm like, you know, I come home, I come, I'm in work, you know, on that on that Friday. I'm like talking to one of my coworkers. I'm like, oh, if I get hit X amount more, I just I'll hit my goal, like my first goal. And he's like, he goes up to you know, 
you know, back in the book, he's like, dude, what? You already hit the goal. I'm like, what? Because you had an update on my computer. And I'm like, I literally turned to him and says, I heard Unclatch for five minutes. Thank you. But see, the, 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 the numbers go, and I'm like, okay, well, we actually hit 10K. I'll be like stunned. Mm-hmm. And we did. So awesome. Um, I also, have a, I also have a few other books in various um, stages of development. The aforementioned Greasers versus Aliens, which is basically aliens invading uh, 1950s Freeport, where my dad's from, and he grew up there in the 1950s. So I have some, <laughs> you know, shall we say, uh, knowledge when it comes to trying to talk about things actually in the town of that era. And then I have Broken Night, which is kind of like a Batman and Robin-esque uh Father Son Tale as part of the Liberty Verse overall story. And I, you know, I have a couple other things on the fire that I'm slowly developing. You're being slowly. <laughs> That's awesome. That's that super cool. Um, you know, I'm I'm really excited about this book. Um, you know, somebody who's grown up on superhero books, and you know, I still love to read a good superhero book. You know, I'm I'm really excited about this. Um, why don't you, as we close up, let's let's do what we we normally do at the at the close. Where are the best places to to follow you online to stay up to date with this and all the various projects you might be working on? Okay, you can find me on Facebook as Daniel Calvin. You can also find me on the American Dreams Facebook page and the Atlas Studios Facebook page. More likely, of the two, the American Dreams page in this case. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Daniel Calvin. And then you can okay. find me as the Calvin on Instagram. That's basically my main social medias. That's awesome. So we're going to link all of those in the show notes. And what I'm also going to do is put a link um, to Band of Bards and to previews in the show notes. So we want to make it as easy as possible for people to, you know, call up their pod player know hit the hit the you know the details scroll down and and, and find all of those links yeah. um it's support your local comic shop bit. i'm yeah. sorry go ahead let's say support your local comic shop definitely definitely and um you know this is sometimes at the point of the interview where we talk about the importance of pre-ordering um i think your foc is in a couple of days so we're going to post yeah. this as quickly as possible um you know, with these indie titles, it's very important to pre-order these because it doesn't have Spider-Man, it doesn't have Batman. As a guy very close to Superman, but it doesn't have Superman on the cover. But, you right. know, you need to tell your shop owner um, that that you want to pre-order this. Do you want to talk a little bit about the importance of, of pre-orders with, with indie books? Well, basically, pre-order, indie books can live or die as a, ser- as a continuing series from your pre-orders. Like, for example, my books are a spotlight book in previews, but that doesn't guarantee I'll get, like, a whole bunch of orders. I need to push as many as I can because I've been emailing shops, and I'm going to be calling as many shops as I can this weekend, and I've been, you know, hitting the social media as hard as I can. But basically, the more you pre-order, the more longevity the series will have overall. Like, you know, this is like a one issues one through five, you know, arc, series and you will get one from five it's like the more you order the more we can put out like six through ten easily yeah. or uh, for 15 and so 
Yeah, and a little bit of the hope is that uh, maybe if you have a shop owner that has, you know, two or three regulars that come in and says, hey, you know, I want this American Dreams book, he might see a little bit of, uh, you know, heat from from his, his regulars and he might go, hey, you know what, if I have two or three pre-orders, let me go ahead and grab a couple more for the, 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 the shelf. So that's a, that's another important part of, of pre-orders. Yeah. Very cool. Um, well, Daniel, it's awesome to, to check in with you and, and, and find out about this book. I'm, I'm very excited about it. Um, you know, uh, I'm definitely um, going to tell my shop to, to get me an order. Um, uh, and I'm really excited about it. Um, hopefully we can have you on in the future to talk about either, you know, more issues of this series or anything else you want to talk about. Sure. And I'm guessing, um, you know, we don't, we don't want to talk about it right now, but there's probably a couple of anthologies coming up in the future that we're, everybody on this uh, Zoom call is, is part of. So that's maybe yeah. something we can do in the future. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, very cool. Um, so as I stated earlier, all of Daniel's um, social media is going to be linked in the show notes. There'll be a link to Band of Bards um, webpage. Daniel, I guess maybe I should have asked you about that because we had Travis on earlier, um, you know, uh, an, an episode ago. Can you, um, maybe you don't have a, you know, local comic shop near you or convenient to you. Are you able to order these directly um, on the Band of Bards um, webpage? You can order it directly as a pre-order yeah. Band of Bards shop. Yeah, so that's that's a very important reason why we will have Band of Bards website in the in the show notes as long as the as well with the the previews um, page. So um, check that out. If you want to follow the podcast, we are on social media. Our Twitter is at Construct Compod, Instagram is Constructing Comics Pod, and Facebook is Constructing Comics. Um, just want to thank everybody for listening. Please be safe. Be nice to each other and go out there and make some comics. Thank you.